We're going to continue in chapter one in our study in the book of James. And we're going to take a deep dive into verses 26 and 27. Again, I emphasize that we're going to take a deep dive because this is not going to be a five minute teaching. But there is so much richness in the word of God. And I've been so encouraged as I've studied these two verses. And so I want to begin by reading aloud to us from verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. James would write in his letter, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, in continuation of what James had just dealt with, if you recall in the previous verses, he offers us real examples of what it means to be doers of the word of God. Now, to begin, let's break this verse, verse 26, down. He started in verse 26 with this phrase, those who consider themselves religious. Now, in our context, we recall that James is writing to Christian Jews. As you may know, Jewish people were very religious people. Ceremonies, customs, rituals, traditions, and special days are common occurrences, common observances, and practices for Jews. So I want us to understand the courage and the gravity of what James will begin to address as he pins these words to his original audience. He is, in fact, introducing a rebuke in which he wishes to address a common problem for the church both then, and listen to me, and today. So more on this in just a moment, but let me pause to give us some framework. I ask you the question, not that you would respond out loud, but what makes a person religious? Now, in my experience, some things that I might recall people would consider to be religious is as follows. Going to church makes a person religious. Praying, not drinking, not smoking, not cursing, reading your Bible, Bible study, scripture memorization, fasting, tithing. These things might be on the forefront of our minds when we describe what makes a person religious. It's likely the Christian Jews to whom James was writing might lean towards some of their traditions and practices to define what makes a person religious. Things like their required daily observances involving prayer, scripture reading and study, Jewish holidays or special days, circumcision, Jewish laws, or even dietary restrictions. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, but religion is used to describe a way of life that embodies faulty faith and also a way of life that embodies true faith. What do I mean by that? Well, both a Christian and a Muslim can be described as religious. For both have the outward practice 
of religious activity. Now, the problem, as you may well know, is that one can seem to be religious that is rightly related to God and yet in the most basic ways fail to be so. One of my favorite stories my dad told me growing up involved a childhood memory of his. As I recall the story that he told me, I may leave a few details out, but here's how the story goes. My dad, in those days, he lived on a farm when he was younger. They could not afford a television, so they had a neighbor that lived down the street that would sometimes allow him and his brothers to come over. And one of his favorite things to watch on television was Superman. And so on one particular occasion, he comes home from having just watched Superman, tells his uncle that he would love to be able to fly like Superman. So his uncle, everybody's got the crazy uncle, his uncle told him, oh, that's easy. All you have to do is find a blanket or a towel, paint a red S on it, and you can fly too. So my naive dad decided that he was going to do just that. He found a towel, he painted a red S on the towel, he went up to the top of the barn, and don't you know it, he jumped off of the barn. Now, I know this story because at a young age, I was so curious why my dad had such a large scar on his arm. And so the story goes when he jumped off and was quickly confronted with the reality that he couldn't fly, he broke his arm in several places and it required surgery. Now, my dad might have considered himself Superman, but in the most basic ways, he failed to be so. Now, let's continue to make the connection. Outward practices of religious activity are a part of the Christian life. And in this very important sense, the religion of the Christian and the Christian community is absolutely necessary, but only if it is true to the faith. I'll say it one more time, only if it is true to the faith. Now we see several places in the gospels where Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees for such religion, religion, excuse me, this religious activity that is not true to the faith. So I wanna introduce this in your notes, three different passages in the book of Matthew. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter six, verse five, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Later in the same chapter, Jesus would say, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Again, religious activity, but not true to the faith. He would later say in a different chapter, in chapter 23, Jesus would say these words, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 
outwardly religious, inwardly not true to the faith. So if you're going to consider yourselves religious, let your definition be used to describe a way of life that embodies true faith. For pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, temples, or special days. Pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others through speech, service, and separation from the world. It is these three practices that James makes mention that I wish to spend the rest of our time together. So let us begin with speech, as James would write, and yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongues. Let's get into the what, and then we'll talk about the why. I love what Pastor Chitty has shared with us before. Learn to reign in your words in order to reign in your words. You have it there in your notes to fully understand the difference between the two words. But you may have noticed there are a lot of references to speech in this letter. James was certainly addressing the Christians to whom he was writing, for it must have been a serious problem in the assembly. And perhaps you would agree with me when I say the same is true for the church today. Now, again, not our church, but generally speaking, the same is true. A deeper dive into the word rain gives us a greater understanding as to what is to be understood. Now, I'll be the first to confess and admit I am a city boy, all right? But I'm going to do my best to share what I have learned. A rain is a long, narrow strap attached at one end to a horse's bit. And typically used in pairs, it is to guide or check a horse while riding or driving. A bit is, by definition, a piece of metal or synthetic material that fits in a horse's mouth and aids in communication between the horse and the rider. Now, I have with me here a bit, as you can see, I'm no horse, but this part, I know you guys are all very smart people, so for the people watching, this is a bit that goes into the horse's mouth. And of course, there would be a rein that comes down for the rider. And the purpose of this, if the rider was to pull this way, then it lets the horse know to go this way. If it were to pull this way, vice versa, or even if it were to pull up. So you get the gist of what is happening here. Now, it's part of the bridle and allows the rider to connect with the horse via the reins. James would address this further in chapter, chapter 3. Thank you, Pastor Justin. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. 
All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So, church, what are we to do? James says, no human being can tame the tongue. Nevertheless, the tongue can be brought under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. We might say that only God himself is mightier than the human tongue. We are therefore to submit to the spirit of God who works through us and sets direct, directing hands on the reins that is our tongues. Be challenged via the word of God to have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit to keep a tight rein on your tongue. It's truly life-changing. Now quickly shifting gears to the why behind the what, allow me to break this down in a way. Failure to keep a tight rein on your tongue results in, from chapter three, corrupting the whole body, setting the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Church, listen to me. The wisdom and grace which enables us to rule our tongues will also enable us to rule all of our actions. Chew on that for a moment. Further from chapter three, failure to keep a tight rein on our tongue results in a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Remember, James taught us to be slow to speak towards others and against God. Further evidence as to why we are taught to do so. Do you remember the saying as kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? I wish I could find the person responsible for starting this ridiculous saying because we all know it's not true. And it's sobering to accept the responsibility as Christians to keep a tight rein over our tongue to unbelievers because we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. And also, it's sobering to accept the responsibility as Christians to keep a tight rein over our tongue toward fellow believers because we are commanded to love one another and listen, in doing so, I remind you, everyone will know that we are disciples of Jesus. Additionally, failure to keep a tight rein on your tongue results in deceiving yourselves. That's what James would say towards the latter part of verse 26. Now we see in verse 22, James instructs the persecuted church to not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. And so James continues his message against self-deception. To neglect controlling one's tongue while still considering oneself to be religious 
is self-deceiving. For one of the leading characteristics of self-deception in the Christian life is that believers can make an empty show of religious devotion. The fact, states James, is that religion without proper fruit, in this context, the fruit of a controlled tongue, is self-deception. Such religion without proper fruit is self-deception. Maybe you've heard it said this way, practice what you preach. Don't simply be a Christian in talk, be a Christian in your walk. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves in professing that we are Christian, but in the most basic ways fail to be so. For far too many are deceived in heart regarding the reality of their walk with God. In church, we deceive ourselves in thinking we are right with God through religion rather than through relationship. Which leads me to a well-known point. Generally speaking, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in our hearts is made audible as if the, the heart's secrets come fleeing out of our mouth. And listen to me, if our heart is right, our speech will be right. And, what, and this is what relationship with Jesus is able to do that religion does not do. Together in relationship, we do the hard work of heart work. And such heart work is able to produce good fruit. Such fruit as a person whose religion is as authentic an example, as excellent as example, as it shows in being careful what we say. For failure to control one's speech, James asserts, means that one is deceiving oneself about having true religion. To which Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 15, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but one com what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And I want to point out, by drawing attention to the tongue, James avoided a comparison over the quantity and the quality of obedient works. One might say, I've been to church more. Another, I read my Bible more. Yet another, I tithe more and so on and so forth. Instead, James emphasizes control of the tongue of our speech. It stands in a way that is so obviously true that you do not need to prove it for true religion. As James would write later, in chapter three, and I'm paraphrasing, control of the tongue stands for control of the whole self against temptation. 
Now, I'm going to do my best to linchpin this to other parts of the letter. Control of the tongue also stands for persevering under trial and temptation. Using our tongue to pray to God and ask for wisdom in the midst of temptation. And using our tongue, using our speech, indeed our entire body for the obedience of faith. Finally, failure to keep a tight rein on our tongue results in a religion that is worthless. See, your walk with God is useless if it does not translate into the way that you live and the way that you treat others. The actual conclusion that James gives us is such religion is worthless. And as we look into the latter part of verse 26 and going a little bit into verse 27, just for a moment, there are two kinds of religion that are posed in contrasting faction, uh, factor, fashion. Excuse me. Verse 26, the first is as an adjective and the second is as a noun. It makes emphatic James's rejection of a disobedient faith as a false faith. For genuine saving faith will produce action in a believer's life, which are obedient to the word of God. Readers, excuse me, here we, here we do well to understand this contrast of verse 26, which James uses the language worthless religion. But then we go into the beginning part of verse 27 and James uses the language pure and faultless religion. This word, the Greek word, used for worthless in its origins are what we translate as vain. But this form is often used in scripture, specifically in the New Testament, to characterize idolatry. Here's how it's used in some other passages in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 14, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these, and here's the word, worthless things, to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Another passage of scripture. I'm only going to use one other example, but there's more. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 25, Paul writes this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became, and here's the word, futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of the hearts of sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So hear me, church. The religion that people who do not control their speech have is no better, James suggests, than idolatry. It's vain. It's worthless. It has no purpose. It causes others to look at man rather than looking at God. And Jesus said about the Pharisees, they do it to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. It is religion that becomes about us rather than it being about God the Father. And church, this is idolatry. You draw away the glory devoted to God our Father. But this is not pure and faultless religion that our motives are to be seen by others rather than to be seen by God. And scripture says, instead, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray and when you fast and when you give. For pure religion to the religious is obscene because of his appetite to be seen. And listen to me, people of God, we must allow God to keep a tight rein on our tongues. Like a bit being inserted into our mouth and him being the driver. 